Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Isaiah chapter 58. I'm going to be, begin reading with verse 9. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and God will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your gloom will be like noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong, and you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestors, Jacob, from the mouth, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you know what I miss? I miss revivals. Old church revivals. Remember those? Wait a minute, let, let me take a time out for just a minute. Time out. I, I, I know that sounds strange. That sounds like saying, boy, I miss the gnats in South Georgia. Or I, I really miss college exams. I really miss that kidney stone I passed. I miss meatloaf on Friday in the school cafeteria. Do you remember meatloaf on Friday at the school cafeteria? You could see everything in it that you'd eaten all week that was left over. I miss the Bay City Rollers music on the radio. I really miss election years. I'm so glad it's 2020. I, I, I know it sounds strange to say I miss those old church revivals, but I kind of miss those revivals. You know, when the traveling evangelist came to town and you started church on Sunday and you had services every night until Friday and you had pack-a-pew night where you brought your friends and youth night where the sermon was kind of youth-oriented and children's night where the sermon was children's oriented and the evangelist would come in order to get the church fired up. So he would make us feel guilty about all the things we weren't doing and he would make us feel guilty about all the things we were doing. And then we would take up a love offering every night and pay him for coming and making us feel guilty. And he would leave after about a week. And I sure do miss those revivals. Uh, traveling preachers who got the church fired up. And then there's Isaiah. You know, most prophets and evangelists wander in from the wilderness, scream repentance at the top of their lungs for about a week. Most of the prophets in the Old Testament did not preach for long periods of time. But then there's Isaiah. Isaiah, who was not a wandering prophet from the wilderness, but Isaiah was a temple priest. And had worked in the temple all his life. And his message was a little different. 
In fact, it's almost quite the opposite of what the revival preachers tended to say. Isaiah's formula and Isaiah's message for firing up the faith is clearly laid out here in Isaiah chapter 58. It's just not what we expect a fired up message to be. I I just read these words. I'll read a few of them again. If you remove the yoke from among you, if you remove the pointing of the finger, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness. That is practically the opposite of what every revival preacher ever told me. Isaiah says, remove the yoke from among you. Uh, The revival evangelist that I remember used to scream at us, pick up the yoke. You need to do more for God. You aren't doing enough for God. He called them the sins of omission, those things that we should be doing that we weren't doing, the things that we were omitting from our life, things we were failing to do, do more. I'm not kidding. He used to let us have it. How many of you have ever been to a revival? I don't want to be speaking to a crowd that doesn't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, if you don't give your money, God will take the money away that you've got. You remember this, if you don't use your talents, God will take your talents away. You will lose your talents. I went to a revival at a friend's church. They were of the more conservative Church of Christ back in the 60s and 70s. And the evangelist who was at that church said one evening, and I am not exaggerating, you need to be at church every Sunday, every Sunday. I mean every Sunday. If you are not at church on a Sunday and you die during that week, you go to hell. You do not pass go. You don't collect $200. You go straight to hell every Sunday. I want you to look around and make note of who's not here today. (laughs) Just cross your fingers for them. Say a prayer. Our evangelist wanted us to do more because in doing more, that's how we get fired up as a church. And then there's Isaiah who says, if you want your light to rise in the darkness, and in this century the only light was fire, if you want to be fired up and your light rise in the darkness, take the yoke off. Our staff works hard and well together here. We, we noted about three years ago that Sunday was supposed to be a day of rest and the church was supposed to be a place for your sanctuary, and yet for some of you we had almost turned it into a second job, a part-time job if not a full-time job. Uh, we worked hard at making some adjustments. Some of you will have noticed them, that Vacation Bible School and Mission Week are combined during the summer, that some of the youth trips were combined during the summer, that some things we completely left off the calendar, that we've experimented with having retreat every other year and maybe alternating within as much in the future, finding ways to free up time. Do you know if you have a child in the children's department and a child in the youth department and you do everything that we plan for you, you can't have a summer vacation during the summer? And so we work hard at lifting the yoke off. If you want your light to shine, if you want people drawn to your warmth and your care, remove the yoke. When Jesus visited this earth, he said to us, take my yoke upon you, it's easy. And he told the Pharisees, you put burdens on people, you put yokes on people that you won't even carry yourselves. God did not mean for faith to be a burden. Faith is supposed to lighten 
burdens. So serve God. Serve the church. You know I want you to. But remove the yoke. And Isaiah went on to say, remove the pointing of the finger and the evil speech that accompanies it. Now, now this is where the visiting revival preachers used to get really excited. They would scream at us and tell us all the things that we were doing wrong. I mean, they, they, these were the sins of commission. You remember this, don't you? The sins of omission were those things we were supposed to be doing that we weren't, and the sins of commission were the things that we were doing that we shouldn't be doing. And most of the revival preachers were really good at this. They had all the sins memorized. They knew all Ten Commandments. They knew all the seven deadly sins. They knew at least a half a dozen abominations. And they even tacked on a few things that weren't even in the Bible, like smoking cigarettes, playing cards, and listening to the Beatles. They knew everything that was wrong to tell you not to do. And, of course, at the time, I was in elementary school. I didn't even know what half the commandments meant. Covet? Bear false witness? Adultery? I knew what less than half the seven deadly sins meant. Avarice? gluttony. I had never smoked a cigarette. The only cards I'd ever played were go fish and war. And I knew if let it be mentioned Mother Mary, it couldn't be all that bad. But I was still told I was a sinner. The sins were named, the fingers were pointed at me and pointed at everybody else in the church because the revival preacher believed that the church would be on fire again if we would stop doing everything that the Bible said was wrong or everything that he said was wrong. If we would stop doing these things, the church would be fired up. I've spent a good part of my life wondering why we seem to have this innate need to tell other people how to live their lives, to name other people's shortcomings, to call out other people's sins, to point fingers at other people. And I asked that question one night about two years ago in an open AA meeting, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, a room full of people who struggle with addiction, who've obviously had a few fingers pointed at them and confessed that they pointed a few fingers at other people. I just asked the question rhetorically one night, I wonder why it is we're so quick to judge each other. And there was this long moment of silence, and then finally somebody said, and I love it and have held on to it because I think it's absolutely true. He said, well, my life is such a mess, I think I might feel better if I just fix yours. My life is such a mess, I just think I might feel better if I just fix yours. I'm convinced that is the issue with the Pharisees of Jesus' day, the self-righteous people of the 21st century, judgmental church people. We, we know in our own hearts our lives are so messy and it just feels better or it makes us feel a little better to try to fix everybody else's and tell them what to do. But if we want the church to be fired up and filled up, Isaiah says, stop pointing the finger. And be a place where people are not judged. Have you ever wondered why multitudes crowded around Jesus? Why people would walk for miles to hear him speak rather than another Pharisee? It is not because he pointed out all of their sins, and it is not because he condemned and damned them in all of his sermons. That's no, because he would look up in a tree and say, Zacchaeus! You're a tax collector? 
Hey, let's go get something to eat. Nicodemus, you're a Pharisee? Come on in, chat with me for a little while. You're a Roman soldier that oppresses the Jewish people? Why don't I go to your house and check on your sick child? You're a Samaritan? Let's share a cup of water. Judas, you look tired. Let me wash your feet. Remove the yoke. Remove the pointing of the finger. Offer food to the hungry and care to the afflicted. If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness. You know, I talk a lot about the verbal assaults I endure via telephone and email and in restaurants and other venues. I really need to give you the full picture, make sure that you see the whole story, make sure that you understand both sides of that coin, because there are two sides. I was actually walking out of Eggs Up Grill downtown just a week or two ago. I was introduced to a gentleman in the restaurant by a mutual friend. He introduced me as his minister at First Baptist Greenville, and immediately the man said, First Baptist, thank you for what your church is doing for our city. A mother came into my office last Sunday, drove from out of state to worship with us last Sunday came into my office and said, thank you, your church saved my adult son's life. I was sitting in the hospital lobby two days ago on Friday. One of the caregivers for one of our members was sitting and talking with me. She said, I was at the World Within Weekend a couple of weeks ago, and I was able to go to the caregiver dinner that was offered on Saturday night. Thank you. Please thank the church. Thank Kendra. Thank Kyle for me. I was in a parking lot on North Main yesterday. I had left a meeting, was about to head home when another lady who was in the meeting stopped me and introduced herself. She said, my name is Jen. May I ask you who you are? I said, I'm Jim Dant. She said, what do you do? I said, I'm the minister at First Baptist Greenville. She said, that's what I thought. I need to say to you her exact words, your church is a light to this community. Her exact words. These are Isaiah's exact words. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, and if you offer food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness. We are not perfect, but you will find no yoke here You will find no finger pointing here. You will find a community that takes your needs and your hurts and your story and your struggles and your life seriously in our prayers and in our actions. That's the way we stay on fire. Let's pray together. Loving God, for the words of this prophet, we are grateful for words that call us back to the gospel and to the truth of your nature and your presence with us. Loving God, thank you for the indwelling of your spirit in each of our lives, but for the dwelling of your spirit in this place that inspires us, gives us breath and strength to move forward and be your people in your world. 
Bless us today as we open our doors and open our arms to others. And if there are those this morning that might unite with this church and be a part of your body in this place, may they know they are welcomed and may your spirit draw them. We pray all of these things in Christ's name, but for our sakes. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is in the green insert in your order of worship. It is the hymn, Here I Am, Lord. I invite you to stand and to sing. I will be standing at the front, and if you'd like to unite with this congregation, we invite you to respond as God's Spirit leads you. Let's stand together and sing. <laughs> 